turn to the scriptures. Once you get a Bible, go with me to Genesis chapter 4. We'll give you a little history lesson today. And I believe this is going to help us just really big for the times we live in. You know, it's amazing how many times history repeats itself. But the problem with mankind is that we're no good being like God apart from God. Disconnected from God. And so, you know, you can confess Jesus as Lord, but there's more to it than that. It's the way I live, the way I obey, and the way I even fear God. And so when you look at all these things, that when we're disconnected from God, we become very misguided and even self-centered. And you see that with history. So I'm going to talk a little bit this morning about how we can live godly in an ungodly world. How we can live godly in a contaminated world and What I like about the Bible, it gives us great examples of women and men before us that have done that. And so turn with me to Genesis 4, and I'm going to tell you, we're going to go through a bunch of Genesis, and I'll try to keep you where I'm going. I'll do the best I can. It's going to be a bunch of talking today. All right, Genesis 4, verse 1, read with me. Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain and said, I have acquired a man from the Lord. Then she bore again this time his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. Now this was after the fall of Adam and Eve. This is what took place. And if you'll notice there the vocation of both of them. One was a rancher and one was a farmer. And still throughout history, men and women, they they get in arguments, disagreements over land. Still to this day, actually, if you thought about what's going on in Israel right now, there's a fight, and what's it over? Land. It's over Israel, over the city of Jerusalem, really. And so it's still going on. But in this passage here, these two brothers, they come into a a real problem of conflict. And it becomes very, very crucial. Now look in in verse 8, still in chapter 4, verse 8. Now Cain talked with Abel his brother. And it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against his brother and he killed him. And he killed him right there, his own brother. And so in this passage, you can begin to see that that Cain, he didn't want to repent, but he was filled with more revenge. Like, I'm going to get even. So verse number nine, the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel your brother? Now, I believe in this passage right here, The Lord has given Cain an opportunity to confess his sin and to become clean and get his heart right with God. But look at Cain's response right here. And Cain says, how do I know? Or how should I know? And so he said, I'm not my brother's keeper. So you begin to get the sense right here that Cain as a human being, he almost thinks he got away with something. He almost thinks that God doesn't know. Now, here's something for every one of us today. God knows everything. God sees everything, and God hears everything. Every one of us do. Now, once again, God's heart right here was, I believe, for for Cain to repent and get right with him. But he doesn't do it. Verse number 10. And God said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood cries out for me from the ground. Verse 11. So now you are cursed from the earth, 
which is opens its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. So when you read this, the, the blood of Abel cries out. It cries out for justice, but a curse comes upon Cain. And that curse was that of murder, of vengeance, of violence. And I believe this spread to all mankind because of this. Now, think about this. God said to him right here, what have you done? And I always look back at this and I think, what would have happened if Cain would have confessed there and repented and got right? But he didn't. The reason I say that to us today is, what do you have in your life? That you know when your heart, God has dealt with you over and over and over. And God's just saying, step up to the plate and be a man or woman and take responsibility and say, Lord, I've blown it. I've blown it. That's why it's so important that we confess our sins, that we confess our transgressions. Now, for time's sake, I want you to jump down into verse 15. And and in in the verses before, he tells Cain of all the curse that be upon him. Verse 15. And the Lord said to him, Therefore, whoever kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken upon him sevenfold. And the Lord set a mark on Cain, lest anyone finding him should kill him. Now, the mark was not a mark of stigma, but I believe it was a mark of protection for Cain. But it also, you know what it showed me? God still loved him. God said, I'm going to put protection upon you. And so, you know what? God still loves humanity. He still loves us when we make mistakes. Verse 16, then Cain went out from the presence of the Lord and he dwelt in the land of Nod on the east of Eden. Now, many times we read the Bible and we read the Bible and sometimes all of a sudden there's like a light bulb will come on and you begin to look at stuff. Now, if you'll note there in this passage, it said that Cain went to the east. Back in Genesis 3.24, let me just read it to you real quick, it said, And and this is talking about Father God. He drove out the man Adam and he placed the cherubim or the angel at the east side of the garden. So I begin to see this word east. And I looked over and over and over and over. Actually a great reference of it is Deuteronomy 4.41. But when you begin to look at the east, it was symbolic of this, guys. That mankind was moving away from God and good to evil and destruction. Now you're going to see this word east many times and I'll highlight it. And so when you begin to look what happens here with this guy named Cain, just like his father, they begin to move to a thing called evil and destruction. So time goes on and time goes on. And I want you to look in the same chapter, Genesis 4. Look with me in verse 23. It says, then Lamech. Now, I want to stop and tell you something about Lamech real quick. Lamech was five generations outside of Adam. Now, it's important that we begin to understand generations, and I'll highlight that as we go. So, five generations after Adam is this guy named Lamech. So, Lamech said this to his wives, Ada and Zillah. Hear my voice, wives of Lamech. Listen to my speech. For I have killed a man for wounding me, and even a young man for hurting me. So what you begin to see here is sin, guys, is now really progressing. It's getting more and more and more and more. And in this right here, this guy named Lamech, 
He boasts to his wives about killing a man who literally hurt him. Now look at the next verse. If Cain shall have been avenged sevenfold, then Lamech seventy-sevenfold. So you begin to see things are taking place and they're moving forward. And from each generation, guys, sin gets worse and it gets worse and it gets worse. Now, what you're going to see this morning is how history repeats itself. So life keeps going on. Now, I want you to turn to, to Genesis chapter 5. Genesis 5. And in this passage, this guy we just read about named Lamech, he has a son. And his son, his name is Noah. Verse number 29. And he called his name Noah, saying, This one will comfort us concerning our work and the toil of our hands because of the ground which the Lord has cursed. And so when you begin to see this about this guy named Noah, he was created. Noah came upon the scene ten generations after Adam. So from Adam to Noah, it's ten generations. Now this is very important, we understand this. And to help you a little bit, I, I think about in my, my life right now, I've experienced six different generations. I had a, a great-grandfather that, that I vaguely remember. I still remember his face to a certain degree. A grandfather, myself, I have a son, and now I even have a grandson. And so six generations. Now think about this. This is ten generations in. And now that they're ten generations in, society is, is rapidly progressing in sin. So bad that Father God raises up this guy named Noah and he tells him, Listen, buddy, I'm going to give you 120 years to tell the people on earth to repent and to forsake the way they're living. And if they don't do it, I will destroy it. Now look in Genesis chapter 6. And start with me here in verse number 5. Genesis 6 verse 5. Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Verse 6, The Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth, and he was grieved in his heart. So the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, creeping thing, birds of the air, for I am sorry that I have made him. But Noah found grace or favor in the eyes of the Lord. I want to highlight this guy named Noah for a minute. Noah became godly in an ungodly world. He found grace in, in the Lord's eyes. Now I want you to understand here that the whole society is becoming corrupt. But there's still a guy here that's going to serve God. There's still a man who says, you know what, I'm going to honor God. And I believe that's big for each one of us to understand this, even in the society we live in today. I'm going to serve God. So go ahead, keep reading with me here. Verse 9. This is the genealogy of Noah. Noah was a just man, perfect. That word perfect means he was blameless and with integrity. That doesn't mean that Noah never made a mistake. But Noah kept his heart right. So it said, he was perfect in his generation, and Noah walked with God. You know what I believe this, this shows us? 
that Noah feared God more than he feared man. I'm not going to give in to the things of man. I'm going to keep serving God. Now here in the very next verse, verse 10, it talks about his genealogy. And Noah begot three sons, Shem and Ham and Japheth. Now normally in, in Jewish genealogies, it would go from birth order, from the oldest to the youngest. This time it doesn't do that. Actually, Japheth is the oldest, but he's listed last. The first one was Shem. The reason Shem was listed first, guys, is because his spiritual wisdom. Because he loved his, his God. The other two, Ham and Japheth, guys, they were ungodly. They were ungodly men. Let me tell you something. You may be here today. Maybe you had a godly father. That doesn't mean you're going to be godly. That means he's going to help you to go that direction. And maybe you're here today and you didn't have a godly father. But that doesn't mean you can't become godly. So when you begin to study this here, God ultimately, he destroys this place. Keep reading with me. Verse 11. The earth also was corrupt before God. And the earth was filled with violence. So God looked upon the earth, and indeed it was corrupt, for all the flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. Now, what happens here, guys, is the progression of sin. With each one of us, sin always starts in our private life. You know why? Because there's still a sense of, of right and wrong. In other words, when you start sinning, you really don't want people to know. But what happens over a period of time... When we make sin a habit in our life, we lose the shame and all of a sudden we start living immorally. Our behaviors now have become accepted or almost like the norm, even publicly. Now think about that in our lives. I've been around since the early 60s. And I look at this and I think... When I was growing up on TV, I, I, don't, I don't know that I ever heard a cuss word until probably gone with the wind. I don't even remember what she said, but it doesn't matter he said. But I think back in the 60s, I, I don't even know that on a TV show that you even saw him kiss. If you did, man, it was a big deal. But things begin to change in the 70s and the 80s and the 90s. And now where we live, think about the progression of sin, even in the TV shows we watch. And so right here, he begins through the scriptures to give us a little insight. In verse 11 and verse 12, he uses the word corrupt. That society was depraved, they were debased, and they were vicious. But he says something in verse 11, and then again in verse 13, I want you to see. Look at it. Verse 11 again. The earth also was corrupt before God, and the earth was filled with violence. Verse 13. And God said to Noah, the end of all flesh has come before me, for the earth is filled with violence. So twice he specifically mentions violence. Now there was a lot more that was going on, but violence was what began to get God to destroy it. And I think about in our society right now, we see violence on a daily basis. All you got to do is watch the news. And a lot of times when I see violence on the news, it may bother me for a day or two. 
And then if I'm not careful, you know what my thought is? I don't know those people, so what? And so what ends up happening? Even in the violence in our society, we become accustomed to it. And there's a lesson right here that humanity that's founded on murder, but also is is obsessed with vengeance and saturated with violence, it's a, a, a society that's doomed to destruction. Now my point in saying all this, guys, once again, is we see history will repeat itself, and it'll repeat itself. So when you go through here and you look at this, God ultimately destroys all this because of violence. Now think here in our lives. Do we give violence a free pass because that's just the way our world is? That's just the way civilization is? Let me give you an illustration about every one of us in this room. When there's a movie comes out, And someone may say, is that a good movie? And you say, oh, it's a great movie. Well, what's it rated? We say it's rated R. Only because there's violence. And you know what? We'll say, you know what? There's there's hardly any sexual sins. And they don't use the the, the Lord's name in vain. Any, they they use the F-bomb 123 times. But that's no big deal. But yet, when we come back to violence, it's almost because our, our, our society is saturated with it. We give it, it's only because of violence, it's not a big thing. Now think about this right now. How many of you, maybe even, or your children, grandchildren, they play video games every day where all they do is kill people. I mean, just, it's not even a thought. So you know what ultimately happens? And I said this story about a month ago. There was a 17-year-old boy in the Fort Worth area that one day he just decides to take a gun out and blow his mom's head off and his sister's head off. This is real. And you know what he says? It didn't make me feel the way I thought it would. Now, what ends up happening, guys, is the society, and we get used to killing and killing, and all. we just get immune to it. Like, it ain't no big deal. It's no thing. It is a thing. And I'm going to tell you right now, I believe with all my heart, the citizens of Noah's days have nothing on us. Nothing. So ultimately, you know what happens here? God destroys this. And you know who's left? Shem and Ham and Japheth. Curly Moe and Larry, that's lit. And their wives. So there's eight of them. So God destroys everything. Now, guess what's got to happen out of those eight? They replenish the earth. History. Professor Swan, class 101. You're getting a little biblical history today. Go with me a couple pages over to Genesis chapter 11. Genesis chapter 11. Now, where I'm going with this is out of the descendant of Ham, who was very ungodly, He has, uh, down the line, there's a son born named Nimrod. I'm telling you guys, Nimrod, he he wasn't good. He wasn't good at all. Genesis 11, verse 1. Now the whole earth had one language and one speech, and it came to pass as they journeyed from the east, there's that word again, that they found a plain in the land of Shinar, and they dwelt there. So this is the story of the Tower of Babel. And this guy named Nimrod's leading this going on right now. And it gets so bad that you know what God does? He's got to change all their, their language. He's got to say, uh-uh, these guys are, are getting too smart for their own good. So this is what's taking place right here. 
Now, one of the descendants of Shem down the line was a man named Terah. Terah wasn't real godly either, but he had a son. Look in Genesis 12, verse 1. This son here, guys, in my opinion, may be the most important guy in the Old Testament. Now, the Lord had said to Abram, this was a man named Abram right here that ultimately God changes his name to Abram. And the reason I say he may be one of the most important because he was obedient, but he learned to live by faith. He learned to trust God. So it says right here, Genesis 12, that the Lord said to Abram, get out of your country. Why? It was ungodly. Get away from your family. Why? They were ungodly. And from your father's house to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and I'll make your name great. And you shall be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you. And I will curse him who curses you. And in you, Abraham, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So this is the covenant that God sets up with us. So guess what happens with Abraham? He leaves this city called Ur. And he's on a journey to where God's going to take him. So he takes with him his wife, Sarah, and he takes with him a nephew named Lot. They begin to prosper. Abraham is so blessed. He has so many cows, sheep, and camels that he starts blessing his nephew Lot with them. But what ultimately happens is they get so blessed and have so much that their herdsmen begin to fight. You know what they fight over? Land. Here we go again, history repeating itself. So this guy named Abraham, he says, I don't want to cause division. So he tells Lot, his nephew, we're going to divide everything, and you're going to get to choose which part of the land you want, and I'll get the other one. So he says to him, now pick up with me here, Genesis 13, verse 11. He said to him, Lot, what do you want? Now get this, Genesis 13, verse 11. Then Lot chose for himself all the plain of Jordan, and Lot journeyed east, east. Remember, east was symbolic. Every time I studied that when they went east, they were departing from God and good to evil. Now, you know where the east was that this guy named Lot chose? Look two verses to verse 13, and you'll see. But the men of Sodom were exceedingly wicked and sinful against the Lord. That is what Lot chose. You know what Lot said? I choose money over morals. I choose people over God. Once again, you begin to see this is exactly what begins to happen. Now, i got to throw something else in for you, history lesson. Remember, from Adam to Noah was ten generations. From Noah to Abraham... Ten generations. History begins to repeat itself. Now, I'm not going to have you go there today. But in Genesis 19, God ultimately destroys Sodom and Gomorrah. You know why? Sin again. Sin again. And the only reason this nephew named Lot was saved in that was because his righteous uncle Abraham so here's the question i got to ask you real quick. If Lot went east, which way do you think Abraham went? West. Good, good, good. So you know what I said? Finally, 
Someone saying, go west, young man. Go west. And as I looked at it, as Abraham began to journey west, he was saying, I'm going to live for God. I'm not going to live for the things of the world. Even though, once again, here's a righteous man who lives godly in an ungodly world. Now, this story ends in the New Testament in Hebrews chapter 11. I want you to go there with me. And I want you to see some things because it will pertain to me and you this morning. Hebrews chapter 11. Now, if you've ever gone to Hebrews chapter 11, it's better known in many circles as the Faith Hall of Fame. All the men and women in there, I'm telling you, they were men and women of faith. Guess who's in here? Abraham. Now, pick up with me in Hebrews 11, verse number 8. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place where he'd received as inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. Why did he do that again, guys? Because he lived by faith. He trusts what God said. God said, listen, buddy, if you'll leave, I'll bless you. I'll take. See, it's the same for me and you guys. I got to live by the word of God. I got to believe his word. And so there's where it starts with Abraham. It says, and he would receive it as inheritance as he went out, not knowing where he's going. By faith, Abraham dwelt in the land of promise, as in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with them of the same promise. For he waited for the city. I want you to note that right there. What was Abraham looking or waiting for? A city. A city. Now keep reading. For he waited for the city which has foundations, whose builder, maker, whose architect is God's. Abraham looked for a city where there would be people that would be godly. He didn't want his children growing up in this ungodly society. Skip on down with me to, to verse 13 for time's sake. These all died in faith. Who are these? He's not Abraham and Sarah. They died in faith. You know what that tells me? They died still believing God. Now, you know what's going to happen to me and you? If Jesus doesn't come back before I die or you die, I'm going to die in faith. I'm going to believe, keep believing God. Even though there's things that I've gotten promised in the Bible, you know what? I've got to see them through the eyes of faith. And that's what it's telling us about here with Abraham. He died believing God. Now look what it goes on to say. Not having received the promises, but having seen them from afar off. How'd that happen? He saw them through the eyes of faith, guys. He believed what Father God said, and he kept looking to God. And it goes on to say, we're assured of them, and embraced them and confessed that they were strangers, they were transients, and pilgrims on the earth. You know what that tells me? Pilgrims, they were just temporary residents here. They're passing through. You know, that's me and you, guys. We're just passing through this place called earth. And you know what? You may be here 60, 70, 80, 90, 100 years, but you're just passing through. Where are we going? To an eternal destination. Each one of us. Verse 14. For those who say, or for those who say such things declare plainly that they seek a homeland. They seek a true home. 
And truly, if they had called to mind that country from which they had come out, they would have had an opportunity to return. You know what that's saying? If Abraham was truly that homesick, you know what he'd done? He'd have gone back where he came from. But you know what he knew? I'm not going back there. I have no desire to go back there. You know, in my own life, guys, I have no desire to go back to my past. My past was a past that caused a lot of hurt and a lot of pain. I caused a lot of pain to myself, to my parents, to my wife. I'm, guys, I'm not going back there no more. I don't want to cause pain. Do you know when the prayer of Jabez in Chronicles, he said this in his prayer, Father God, that you would bless me indeed, that you would enlarge my territory, that your hand be upon me, that you keep me from evil, and I cause no pain. I don't know about you guys. I don't want to cause any more pain. I don't like causing pain. And so I'm not going back to that. And that's what Abraham, I'm not homesick for that. Verse number 16. But now they desire a better, that is a heavenly country. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. He's prepared a city for us. Is that what you're so excited about? Well, kind of. Skip over to chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. You know what that's talking about, guys? In heaven right now, the patriarchs, the pilgrims, the ones he's talking about, the, the Abrahams, the Noahs, the Davids, the Moses, but even more so. Your, your, your relatives from past generations. Maybe your grandmother who pay, played for you. Maybe an uncle. Maybe a mother who prayed. Guess what they're doing right now in heaven? They're the cloud of witnesses and they're looking over the balcony of heaven. And you know what they're doing? They're cheering you on. Say, come on. Come on. Come on. Don't quit. Don't give up. Look what happens in verse 12. And let us lay aside every weight, every distraction. Now, what are some of those weights? And the sin which so easily ensnares us. Now, on this journey, guys, called life, on our way to this city, this heavenly country, there's things that try to distract every one of us. They could be things that we make out to think they're good, or they could even be things that are our are, are sin. Now, I, I was around some of my wife's family yesterday. They had a funeral. And I was around some of her aunts and uncles. And I'm telling you guys, I got so grieved. I got so overwhelmed. When I would begin to look at them. And I realized their whole life is, you know what? I owe, I owe, so off to work I go. And that's how many of us are. We get so distracted with making a living that we quit living for Jesus. And then another thing sneaks in and it says, The sin which so easily ensnares us. Romans 6.23 says, The wages of sin is death. Now I can tell you right now, I believe with all my heart, there were good people in Noah's days. There were good people in Abraham's days died and went to hell. You know why? Because they got so caught up with all their sheep and their goats and they got so caught up with the things of the world. This is what he's trying to warn us here. And so he says the sin which so easily ensnares us. Now get this. 
And let us run with endurance. With endurance. That word endurance means steady. It means persistence. It means with a perseverance. You know what that tells me, guys? We're not charged to just run on Sundays. We're charged to run with endurance. Now, I want you to think about this in life. It's not 100 meters. You're not called to be Usain Bolt. And you say, who is that? He's a world record holder in the 100. He could spot me 50 yards and beat me. I guarantee it. We're called to be the marathoners. That it's day by day by day by day. And you think of someone that runs. You know, my daughter's back here somewhere. She ran in a marathon about a month or two ago. Why anybody would even want to do that? I don't know why. I don't even like to drive 26 miles. But anyhow, the day of the marathon, she didn't put her little shoes on and say, today's the day, we're going to go out and run. No. It was months in the making. I mean, day after day. There were some days she would say, I'm going to get 18 miles today. You want to go? No. No. I get tired just thinking about that. I get a stitch in my side just, just laying on the couch watching the football guy. No, what's my point is, we got to build ourselves up. It's endurance every day. It's every day. It's, it's like going to the gym. You've ever lifted weights, you know, you don't go in one day and, 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 and rep out 500. That doesn't happen. You go in there and put 500 on there, you better have a lot of spotters because you're getting ready to get in trouble. But over the years of bench pressing, you'll begin to add, you'll begin to have it. See, it's the same thing spiritually. I've got to stay in the things of God on a daily basis. And he said, run the race with endurance. Now look how we do this. Looking unto Jesus, and that's, that's it, that's the deal. I look unto Jesus. I keep my eyes on Jesus. If you're going to run in a marathon, you know what? You put your eyes on the finish line. When you start dieting, what you put your finish line on? That, those scales, man, I'm going to lose some weight here. In this situation, it's the race called life. It says, look to Jesus. Keep looking. Why am I to look to Jesus? Look what it says. For he is the author, the originator, the finisher, the perfecter of our faith. Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Is that what you're so excited about today? Kind of. But that's not it. This is it. This is what I want you to see. Same chapter. Verse 22, Genesis 12, or Hebrews 12, verse 22. But you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God. You have come where God resides. The heavenly Jerusalem to an innumerable company of angels. That it's so populated with angels. To the general assembly and to the church of the firstborn. Who are registered in heaven. You know what that means? Those who are citizens of heaven. Now let me ask you something today. Are you registered in heaven? You can be. And you know how that is? When you give Jesus your heart. And you begin to live for him. And the Bible's very clear in Revelations. That when you give your heart to Jesus. Your name is written into the Lamb's book of life. 
See, many of you put more emphasis on being registered at Target than you do in heaven. Going to get you in trouble. But he says right here that their names are registered in heaven. Keep reading here. To God, the judge of all, to the spirits of just men made perfect. You know who just men are? People just like me and you who go through this earth and we make mistakes... But we repent and we stay right. And so when we get to heaven, guess what happens? He puts a glorified body on us, a glorified coat. And you know what? We're now perfect when we get to this city. I'm never going to be perfect until I get to heaven. Keep reading. Verse 24. To Jesus, the mediator, the go-between, the agent of the new covenant. Now get this. And to the blood of sprinkling that speaks better than that of Abel. Right where we started, Genesis 4.11. So you know what he's telling me here? That I'm going to either live under the blood of Jesus, or I'm going to live under the blood of Abel. And what did the blood of Abel say? It said vengeance. It said revenge. It said murder. But you know what the blood of Jesus says? It's a proclamation of grace. It says forgiveness. It says love. And when I live under the blood of Jesus, you know what happens? I'm an overcomer in Christ Jesus. When I live under the blood of Jesus, I can go through this life and I can live victoriously here. I can go through this life and live the life in John 10, 10 that Jesus came to give me. Or I can live this other way. I'm going to live under the blood of Jesus or I'm going to live under the blood of Abel, one of the two. I don't know about you. I choose Jesus. I choose Jesus. Let me tell you something. When you go back and you looked at all the genealogies, I think of the day that when when no one knew that, that the whole earth was going to be flooded. I'm sure he had a sorrow for the people of the earth. But think about this. There was great joy in him knowing his wife was going to be on that ship. Shem, Ham, and Japheth. What are you talking about, Pastor? I believe every one of us in here have opportunities to influence. Not just my own life, but the ones underneath me. That God still looks for godly men and women in an ungodly world. Deuteronomy 30.19 says this. I set before you today. Life and death. Blessing and cursing. Therefore choose life that you and your descendants may live. I told you a little bit of my history earlier. I caused pain. I was a royal mess. But I'm going to tell you right now, I'm going to make the right choices. And I want my kids, my grandkids, all of them to begin to say, man, thank God we had someone in our family that would pray. Thank God we had someone in our family that would stand up. And that may be you. That may be you. Stand up with me here today. 